Hello, friends. Hello, 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 friends. A tradition unlike any other. Oh, 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 my goodness. In your life have you seen anything like that? There it is. Adam Scott, a life changer. Mashed potato. Here it, here it, here it, here it comes. This is the 19th T podcast. Kieran Marsh, Nathan Drudy back with you on the eve, Drewster, of the WGC Mexico. Not in Mexico, though, of course, with the ongoing complications around the COVID-19 pandemic. The tournament has been shifted to Florida and the Concession Golf Club. I don't know about you, Drudes. The biggest thing I'm disappointed, obviously we love to see um, the massive drives at altitude in, in this week, but personally the biggest thing I think we're going to miss out on is is old mate who does the first tee introductions. Agree. Yeah, I think so. It's a funny one, isn't it, the, about Chapultepec, is we, we criticise driving distance all year and then we love when we get there and we smack further. <laughs> it's a funny complex, this one, but I agree with you. The, uh, the announce is the best part about that old tournament. Well, one of the Aussies who will be teeing it up at concession over the next few days is a man we've mentioned a number of times on this podcast, a man we celebrated at the beginning of last year when he won on the European tour in the middle of what was a purple patch for Australian victories at the beginning of 2020. I speak, of course, of the pride of the Royal Adelaide Golf Club and the pride of South Australia, uh, not just the Adelaide Crows. I speak, of course, of Wade Ormsby, who joins us now. Wade, thanks for thanks for taking some time out all the way from Jupiter, Florida, to join us on the 19th tee. Thanks for having me on, guys. Must be very exciting. I know you've been over there for a little while now, getting the preparations sorted, but uh, the opportunity to tee it up at another WGC is one you didn't want to pass up. No, absolutely. These big events are um, kind of what you play for a little bit, you know, try and get in these majors or um, the WGCs in this case. So, not really looking forward to it. Um, it would have been nice to go back to Mexico, but um, this concessions golf club, uh, a lot of guys have all the good things to say about it. So, I'm looking forward to getting over there. What's the preparation been like? Obviously, it's it's different, as you say, usually in the altitude there in, in Mexico, one of the, the best tournaments on the roster and, and disappointing not to be going there, but but all the same, wanting to get out on the course. You got over there early and, and have managed to practice at some of the nicest facilities in the world, if you don't mind. So a bit of a different preparation, but nice to probably get to a, a place that is really the centre of the golf universe there in Florida. Yeah, exactly. Like, obviously, right in the middle of this pandemic, you know, we've got so many travel restrictions and you're kind of... You've only got one or two places that you can move um, in between golf tournaments just because of the nature of the world at the moment. So um, I just come off three events. I left Australia and played Abu Dhabi, Dubai and, and Saudi um, on the European tour. And then we're kind of left with a challenge, like kind of where do we go? Because a lot of Europe is locking down, etc. So um, for us, it's a matter of staying out there in the Middle East or getting over here. But we thought we'd get over here, kind of get on deck and then um, try and get acclimatised and enjoy a couple of weeks off not playing golf tournaments, being on the road because it's something that um, pre-pandemic that we just didn't do if I wasn't playing, I was home. So it's been a nice kind of week and a half to play some of these cool golf courses down here and catch up with some friends which are planted down here and um, you feel like you're only a phone call away of getting on to some of these a fantastic golf courses. So I've been fortunate to, enough to play some of these courses and um, do some quality practice. Where have you been playing down there, Wade? I mean, there's, as you yeah. mentioned, there's absolutely no shortage. There's there's hundreds of them. We're just looking at where concession is on the map, and there's about twelve courses around concession. Yeah, exactly. So um, really roughly, what I did, I come, we flew into Orlando, and then um, we went up to Ponte Vedra Beach, which is. Um, home of the PGA Tour. So Scott Hen lives up there, Cam Smith, a few of the other boys, quite a few guys on the PGA and Corn Ferry Tour because of that amazing facilities there. So Cam and Handy and Aaron Price, who you'd remember, we all played, um, let me see, we played early last week, which was good fun getting out with the boys. So that, that course is just, just being closed for the Players' Championship in a couple of weeks. So we got it in its best condition. So that was good fun. And then we actually played a second time there and um, played another golf course up there, which was good. And then we've come down here in the last um, about three or four days ago. So had a hit around the Bears Club with Tommy Aiken and um, been up at the Floridian, which is where Butch Harmon School of Golf is. So we've been up there. 
they've been nice enough to let us come out there and practice. So now we've been ticking off a few nice places, which has been good. It sounds like you've uh, you've ticked off a few good ones. What's it like when yeah. you get together with the boys again, uh, Wade? Because uh, I, I mean, that just sounds like such a dream to get to get together. I mean, you you travel a lot around, you know, the European side of things, playing on that tour, and Cam's playing in America. You, you obviously don't get to see each other a lot, and you, you mix schedules. What's it like when you get back together with the boys and, and get the band back together out on the golf course? I imagine it must be bloody enjoyable for you. Yeah, it is. It's kind of, like I touched on before, it's really rare to have weeks off away, if you know what I mean. So to catch up with guys away from golf tournaments is something we just don't do. And even if you catch up with guys on a Tuesday of a golf tournament, your eyes are on and and you've got the you've got the added stress or whatever you want to call it of a golf tournament on that week. So you kind of, you can't kind of relax too much, but it's a good laugh catching up with these boys. And Cam's someone I haven't spent a huge amount of time with, but you know, you catch up with him, Aussie PJ and Aussie Opens and all that. But no, he's a great lad and got a great future ahead of him. But it's nice to spend some time with Hendy or spend some time with Hendy and like where he's actually living. And no, it's been 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 um, good fun and good banter with the boys. Wade, what uh, what level, if any, of communication is there between you guys when you're not? I suppose they're seeing each other in person. I, I, I ask because I cast my mind back twelve months when we went through that purple patch of victories around the world we had you and and lucas herbert winning on the european tour we had um cam uh, leash and scotty all winning on the pga tour and i, I distinctly remember cam saying he referenced your win because i think it was a week or two before his in hawaii and taking a bit of inspiration out of that i wonder if you guys are talking kind of throughout the year when you're not together is there messages flying through a bit of encouragement here and there what, what sort of communication runs between that group of elite australian golfers around the world yeah, you definitely fire text messages around and whatever else, but it's more, I don't know, social media is so good these days, but you kind of you kind of know what's going on. I run through PGA scores probably three, four times for the week and you catch and you just see where the boys are or how, how the boys are doing. So you're always aware of what's going on around the world. Um, but yeah, no, you're not directly in contact, to be honest. So you just... Um, um, yeah, I think it's just social media and following scores and whatever else. And when you're in the same region, then you start catching up. So um, we're all kind of moving in every different direction all the time. So you're so worried on what you're doing yourself and the guys that are in front of you rather than, than kind of keeping up communication any other way. As we flagged at the top, certainly not your first experience at a, at a WGC. What are these tournaments like? Obviously, we, we have our four majors and, and the, the players often referred to as the unofficial fifth but when it comes to that next tier these wgc events uh, a handful of them across the year really elevated in terms of not just the field but i suppose the prestige around them so for a player like yourself who plies his trade quite successfully on the european tour to, to make that jump across and and play you know literally against the best 50 odd 60 odd players in the world what's what's the feeling like around these tournaments um yeah, it's pretty much that. You know, you get to measure yourself against the best. You know, there's 72 players here, or next, or here for the WGC, and we'll, um, yeah, just just to be in that company is good. But you kind of want to put your best foot forward. You know, we're all competitors at the end of the day, so I'm not just here just to enjoy the week. I want to play as well as I possibly can, and um, where that's going to put me, I'm kind of. I'm looking forward to seeing where, like, where that is. But yeah, these events are, like, they are huge. You know, there's um, no cut, four rounds. Just go and do what you have to do. So, or do what you do, brother. So, um, yeah, no, looking forward to like any of these events. Like I touched on earlier, the majors and the WGCs event. These, these are the events that you want on your schedule, and um, you make them fit in however you can. So, no, I'm really looking forward to it. How's it been traveling, Wade? Obviously, I mean, it's it's Brutal. something we all, all took for, for granted, you know, <laughs> up, up until uh, coronavirus hit. But, I mean, you're probably one of the very few people um, who have actually been traveling around the world. Uh, you had a stint yeah. in quarantine here. Like, It must just be bizarre walking through airports yeah. and having them so dead. Yeah, you've got a mix between completely dead airports like in Australia and international departure lounge with no shops in that open to going through Doha airport and probably a third of the people in hazmat suits and full PPE. So it's pretty strange, but just to give everyone an idea, like normally I play around 
probably 26 to 28 events a year and I'd only waste one, maybe two weeks away from Australia a year where I'm not playing a golf tournament. I like to get home straight away so I can yeah. maximise my time at home and I set my schedule up accordingly so that happens where this is my first trip of the year, like I said, and I'm going to play five events over a 10-week period. So I've just missed or basically wasted five weeks away from Australia mm-hmm. just in order to play yeah. Um, that five-week um, stretch, if you know what I mean. So it's just so difficult because you just haven't got that freedom to move back to Australia. I've had two weeks off and I would have traditionally gone home, but obviously with hotel quarantine, which we've got in place, you know, you just don't have that luxury. And even if I had three weeks off to go home and sit in a hotel and and lose your feel and condition and ability to practice, sitting in a hotel you're you're going backwards at a million miles an hour so that's a difficult thing for us i'm not complaining but that's just what our country's done and um been plenty of upsides to it but if you're an international traveler especially if you're an international sportsman based out of australia at the moment it's um it's quite a big inconvenience but um there's a reason they're doing it so i'm just trying to set my schedule in a way that can kind of minimize the effect of all that on me and I'm trying to do it in big chunks of time away then I um I only got to do the quarantine once at the end of those kind of chunks and um but there is a big downside to that and that's the fact that you're away from your family for a huge amount of time so um but we are but we are golfers that's how we earn our money so we can't just sit home and complain about it you got to kind of get out there and go because we're all playing for our cards at the end of the day so you just got to keep pressing on yeah it's exactly right it's a very tough situation for for everyone involved let's uh take it right back to the very start wade where we do with all of our guests of course we wanted to chat wgc but uh take us back to the very beginning what's your first memories of golf how did it all start for you i suspect very much so through your father exactly right so dad's been a very long time PGA member of Australia and um, started off as a club pro. And then I guess I was around there as a, as, as a youngster, but my brother was the one that was always much better at golf than me. And I was into other sports, but um, yeah, I'd say around about nine years old, I, when I actually pro- probably got into a nine or 10, I, I couldn't get a membership in the, um, in the city because I wouldn't do that until you're 12. So I had a membership at Clare Golf Club up in the mid-north in South Australia and dad got me a membership up there. I need to go up there and play a little bit. So from then on, it, um, I didn't play it that much. I was still in the cricket and football and Aussie rules that is. And then um, by the time I got to 12 or 13, I had to make a, make a choice between Saturday morning golf and um, playing cricket and footy for school, which I eventually choose chose golf around then so from about 12 to 14 I really improved a lot and away I went. What's it like coming through South Australia uh, with the last name Ormsby trying to crack your way through golf you, your father obviously very successful and to your point your brother was 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 quite a talent as well so for you trying to make your own way what's that is there any sort of pressure expectation or are you given the freedom to kind of find your own way and, and grow into your game? Um. Yeah, that's actually a really good question. Um, no, obviously, Dad was in the retail side of things, so there's probably not so many doors he could have opened for me, but I guess there was something with the name. But um, no, you still got to put the runs on the board, and I think Dad pretty much installed into us the determination and the will to want to achieve in anything you put your mind to. And for me, that was that was golf through those years, and... Um, my brother was probably the biggest driving force because he was always so much better than me. And I just wanted to beat him so bad. So I just kind of think I just got better by trying to chase him down. And then probably from about 14 or 15, I had my eyes set on going to college in America. And that kind of drove me pretty hard through that whole period, just because there wasn't the opportunity in a state like South Australia to go beyond um, just playing state golf, which Back then, it was only really one event, and there's a couple of events which I really never got sent on. So I kind of forged my own path, if that makes sense, by going to America because we didn't have those AIS or VIS programs kind of accessible for South Australians. And I probably probably said that wrong. You know, I think the AIS was there, but I was kind of more keen on the VIS program back then when Banny and Lynch were running it, and they were pumping out some good players, but I just... 
probably wasn't at that level where I was going to get that gig. So I kind of thought, no, the, like the US is for me. I was pretty locked on that. So um, 1998, I think, yeah, 17, 18, I packed up and went to Houston, University of Houston. And um, no, that was definitely good for me. I know we're definitely going to kind of delve into your time at the University of Houston way, but I'm I'm interested because I, I did read some quotes from you earlier today talking about that having to make that leap for yourself, given the um, I suppose the the lack of opportunities. Not to to to, to sound like that's a bad thing in South Australia, but it was just the reality at the time. So as a 14 and 15 year old, you're already talking and thinking about college. Where does that come from? Because at that time, you know, Australian players going to college in the states nowhere near as common as what it is in this day and age. So what, what gives you that kind of inspiration or at least the thought bubble to go, right, that's where I want to set my goals. I want to get across the States and play college golf. Yeah. If I remember rightly, um, there's a bit of a wave of things going through. Tiger had just done what he'd done over there through Stanford. Um, there'd been a couple of Australian junior champions just go over there. Simon Lacey from Perth, who was a mega talent. He went to the university of Florida, which was a top school right then. So, he went there, Nigel Spence from South Australia. He won an Aussie junior, kind of 95, if I got that right. He went over there to Colorado, and then I was really good mates with Adam Scott, and he was he was going over there too, you know, and Matt Jones was the same year as me, and he was going to Arizona. So it was all those guys, you know, like the whole wave of us had our eyes on America, so we just thought that was the way to go, and we weren't, and we weren't kind of looking at any options in Australia, so... Maybe that changed after that. I think our programs in Australia got lot, like a lot better after Bads, which was not far behind us. He did what he did like really soon after that. And I think then it really rejuvenated the systems back there. So, um, um, yeah, so that that's kind of the way it was for me. And um, that was definitely the best opportunity I had in front of me. So I, so, so I just I went for it. How did, uh, how did University of Houston come about mate because uh, it's a phenomenal golfing school the university of yeah. houston i mean the, just some of the names for our listeners that have come through it fuzzy zeller fred couple steve elkington of course you know another another aussie there uh, jim nance um was was part of it 16 Brilliant. national yeah. 16 national titles um i think there's eight individual ncaa champions it, it's a, a phenomenal golfing school so how did that come about were there other offers yeah. on the table no so i went over let me see. I think in the January, Dad used to go to the trade show every year in, in um, Orlando. So I went over with Mum and Dad, and we—sorry, just go back from that. You know, you—you um, got to make these people aware that you have the intention of going to college. So you kind of—I guess you pay a scout or whatever. It's not the right word, but you put your name in the hat. I think you paid back then around nine hundred dollars US, and someone represents you and says, "This guy and this is like." Wade Ormsby's done X, X, Y, Z in Australia and he puts it all out there and all the college coaches can see that and then they get in contact with you. So um, that's what I did. I had a lot of offers of different kind of levels of colleges. So I narrowed it straight away down to all the Div 1 schools and then I narrowed it down to probably all the top 20 schools. And then I finished up with um, like a short list of schools I wanted to go to and then I got a speaking to all them from Australia and then I chose the places where the climate was warm because college that I was, I was considering closely and they had were great to talk to and that was northwestern where Pat Goss was and freezing I guess yeah freezing exactly so that was just straight out the window even though people like Luke Donald was there at the time and he was I think number one player in the country like like you kind of want all that kind of stuff but you're like I'm not going to practice in a bubble because I've never done it in my life before so <laughs> So I got down to uh, University of Arizona and University of Houston and I went and did uh, recruiting trips to both those schools along with that trip with mum and dad to Orlando and um, both schools were great and I purely chose Houston on, I got on with the guys straight away but they only had a very few people on their team and only carried about eight players where Arizona had about 15 and I thought if I'm halfway around the world the last thing I want to be doing is sitting at home on the bench mm. and not travelling because that would just kill me. So yeah. that's why I went there and I missed my first tournament and then I played everyone after that. So I remember my first tournament was at Hazeltine National and I played with Scotty actually in the third round. So it's, um, it's a long way back, but it's pretty cool to look back on those memories. 
Probably a two-part question here, Way, but how, how can you quantify your growth in those years at Houston? That's probably A, as a golfer, and B, as a person, because I can imagine coming out of Adelaide into, you know, a big world city like Houston. Texas is big in every sense of the word. You know, we, we think yeah. about America, but Texas in and of itself uh, is is just extreme in every way, shape, and form, and, and Houston, you know, really a heartbeat of, of, that, of that state. So I wonder how you can maybe reflect on your growth both as a golfer but as a person, you know, experiencing those few years in a place like Houston? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Uh, it definitely made me a lot tougher, you know. I was pretty close, or I am still very close to my family, but I had to really snap all that off and get on the plane and go. And that was tough, I guess, like initially, but um, I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a golfer, so that's what I had to do. So, um, so as far as a person to start with, yeah, it definitely made me tougher. And I've always been quite organized. So I can kind of get all my stuff together, but I just kind of, I had to just get past that point that I wasn't going to be living with mum and dad every every day and every night. So, because you didn't travel that much, even in amateur golf, you know, you just went away for your four or five events and you come home. So I've never done stints like that before, but uh, it gets back to the people that was, were around me. The guys in the team were really good. I met a guy on the baseball team who I live with, who I've become massively close with and that was a huge um, help for me over there you know because if you're just um, with someone you're not enjoying as far as living with them it's it makes it a bit of a grind but I got on with him really good and we just clicked and his family half took me under their wing so that took the pressure off a lot there and made me feel comfortable it was like a home away from home and then um, from a golfer uh, I think it just you probably would have heard it a lot through that period you know the the coaching kind of isn't there over there, but it's coaching in another way. They, they make you turn into flat out players where you've got to grind it out and you've got to count as a number. You know, you got for the, for the viewers that don't understand college golf back then, at least it was five, um, was five players go and play a, a tournament representing your college each day and you play stroke play and four people count and they add those four scores um, together. So it's, if you've got two guys that make a bad start and you're 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 one of them through five and you're four over after three, coach comes up to you and says, "Mate, I really need you," you know. And then you turn that four over back into a to a one over or even a two over. You know, it's it's um, it's really important for the team score, but I think it's it's a great lesson learnt for later on in life. You know, because we find ourselves in so many situations on tour where you've had like horrific starts and you've got to grind it out and find a way to get back, and that's. Um, and that's professional golf, I reckon. A lot, like a lot of it on Friday where you're grinding to make cuts and whatever else, then it's so easy to throw it away. And I think I learned a lot of that in college just to keep sticking in it and find something and get the job done and then go and try and reboot it or start again on the range on a Friday afternoon. So it's, um, I think it just turned me into a tougher player and a grittier player, which, um, which yeah, that's a good asset to have. Any, uh, any legacy support for Houston sporting teams why listeners to this podcast know I'm a big Houston man, I'm a Texans man, a Rockets man, well not so much the Astros because I've been on obviously in a bit of hot water of late but you were there at a pretty interesting time it's kind of the back end of became a larger mine at the Rockets, it's it's a bit of an infancy period in the NFL what, what sort of legacy if any do you have in terms of supporting Houston sporting teams Yeah, yeah you're right, we had a huge history the basketball team had an amazing history but they were in a rebuilding phase there college football the same thing you know but like the golf the golf team was the one with the big history on 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 campus and everyone kind of knew that and the and the legacy that was there but um i'm trying to think back actually we're probably so much into ourselves we didn't think about anyone else but um <laughs> uh, <laughs> no nah, i think um I'm trying to think. Yeah, like another story I actually forgot to tell. When we go back to this is quite this is quite cool actually. When I went on my recruiting trip, you know, they throw everything at you to try to kind of lure you to come and sign for the college or take the scholarship or, or whatever it was. But I remember going for, through a tour of the athletic facility there, and it was unbelievable. Something that I'd never seen: full indoor football pitch and batting cages and full medical department, everything you can dream of, and and whatever else is completely blown away for it. Anyway, we went down to the gym and they said, oh, we've got someone here to meet you. So I walk into the gym. I'm sorry, I'm just waiting at the entrance of the gym there. And then guy comes over and it was Carl Lewis. He was a University of Houston alumni and he come over and he's just halfway through a workout and come over and 
shook my hand and mum and dad's hand and had a chat to us for four or five minutes was the nicest guy and um yeah that completely blew me away because that wasn't that long after he was still competing so just little stories like that stick in your head and you're like just some of the things you're exposed to in this wonderful game it's amazing my word it would stick in your head that's uh it sounds yeah. like exactly every recruiting trip like that you ever hear is you know they yeah. throw it all at you and uh sounds sounds like they do so very very exciting yeah. that, uh, you get to experience that that sort of um that sort of treatment when you're over there 2001 Wade you, you turn pro um a big decision for you um to to make that uh to make golf your life obviously there was no doubt once you get to the college level that that's this is what you're going to do but that decision to turn pro it's always a question we ask our guests who did you consult and and what was the I suppose the decision making in that process um to to making the call that this is going to be your life now yeah it was a it's actually a trickier decision in my life at that point you know because it was a four-year scholarship and I was plateauing out in my golf I was I wasn't struggling like yeah I think I was struggling I think I just plateaued out it's probably the best way to put it I knew I had to get better if I wanted to turn pro and so continually talking to mum and dad and um, we made a decision to basically leave college come home and work on my game then turn pro not like I'm leaving college after three years I'm ready I definitely wasn't in that that phase you know but that's like okay let's go after three years come home let's work let's work your ass off for six months and then we'll go to aussie q school then end of the year and see if we can make it stick and that was 100 percent the plan it wasn't like i'm ready to go definitely i just wasn't on my game was crap but i was still getting it around but i knew it was just had a ceiling on it so um i come home um i work with a guy called cameron howe had been at Royal Adelaide Golf Club only a few years then and he was a pro that I've been closer to for about 20-25 years there at Royal Adelaide so he's like originally from from Melbourne and come out of the VIS program in the early days so he had a pretty good grounding he's a good teacher and I think dad had seen him for a couple of lessons personally and was really raving about him so I just come back shook his hand and said let's go you know so we we got into it really hard there for he drove me like super hard there for for um six months and it was like seven to seven days and I thought but but this is what I'd committed to with mum and dad so this is what I was doing so that um six months or so I worked as hard as I possibly could and as a result I went up to Nudgee there for Australian Q school and I think I finished uh well, I reckon about third I could be miles away with that I think in stage one and then about 13th which was first stage and then about 13th in final stage and then I then, and then I had my card in Australia so then I had somewhere to play so um yeah so back then we had the Von Ida tour I reckon well that was just getting going so effectively the tier two events in Australia now and um yeah then I just I went around and played all them and um, I think you could still sneak into the Australian Masters and that which I did so I was just kind of got my toe in the water that way in professional golf but um, no that was kind of the breaking point that six month period was whether I was going to have to go and transfer what I was doing at college back to uni or go into the family business or something or go and play golf so it was an important little phase when you look back at it. Yeah, it's a, it is a really important phase as, as you, and you put that really well there. I suppose you, you play, you come back, you play on the, on the PGA Tour of Australia for a couple of years, as you, you mentioned. And then in 2003, the end of 2003, you qualify through the Q school for the European tour. I guess that's, uh, you know, we've heard many horror stories, um, of Q school over in, in Europe, Wade guys that uh, we've had on this, this podcast to have spent ten twenty thousand dollars getting over there and accommodation, all the rest of it to, to miss by one shot and they have no status. So it's uh, Q school. I imagine is every bit as harrowing as what it sounds like, but for you to go over there and, and then earn your place and get this and get a full card, uh, really exciting for yourself in that period of your life and, and your career yeah. starts to kick off from there. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's hard to get going out of Australia, you know, playing those events there. Yes, you're a professional and yes, you can earn money playing it, but you're not really earning enough to get properly going and set yourself off. So it's a funny story, actually. There was um, that Royal Adelaide Golf Club around that period or just before that, actually. And Cameron Howe, the head pro, he had a European Tour entry form on the counter of the golf club. He had his name on it and it was just sitting there and we I walked in one day and I saw his name on it and I was just having a laugh and we're all saying, Oh, is Cam gonna go back and play? So anyway, I looked at the schedule I looked at the 
European tour entry and saw how much it was and saw when the dates were and thought, hang on, I can make this work, you know. So I actually went and got liquid paper, wired all his name out, put my name on it. And then I remember going to the travel agent and booking a round-the-world ticket because I played an event up in Townsville first. That was my first port of call my round-the-world ticket. And then I went over to um, the US, I reckon that was 2003, and I did about, I planned in six Monday qualifiers for the nationwide tour back then, which is now Corn Ferry. And then I went from there to London to, to um, kind of blend in stage one of European tour school at a place called Chart Hills down there in Kent. And then I'd fly home from there. So I kind of made a round the world trip of one event in Oz, six, six Mondays in America, and then that trip there, and then that few school of Europe and then home. So I gave myself a few opportunities and um, yeah, my game just started feeling really good. I, I Mondayed into a event in Calgary and I, I think I birdied my last two to make the cut on the number. Then I shot 63 on Saturday and I finished eighth. Then all of a sudden I'm into the next week and then I went played okay in Utah. And then I'm like, crap, do I stay here and keep trying to chase this or do I go to go and do that stage one that I'm committed to? But no, I went and did stage one and played fantastic there, won stage one. And now stage one and two in Europe are quite split by three or four weeks. So I had to fly home and now I'm sitting at home going, hang on, I've got a massive opportunity here to go back and try and get some status in Europe. And, um, and um, yeah, I flew back and finished, I think, third or fourth in stage two and then... I was playing great by this point, you know, I was playing the best golf of my life. And then um, I went to, let me see. Um, yeah, I went just down the road to import a golf club and Powell's and finished second at European Q School. I had my tour card. So no, amazing little period in my life. And that's what really gave me that spring, that springboard to get going. What's that step up like, Wade? I mean, you, you kind of, you've gone through a number of progressions there that we've already spoken about, whether it's through the amateur scene and South Australia, you've stepped up to cut your teeth in college golf. You've come back and after turning pro to work your way through the Tour of Australasia and then you, you make that step up to the European Tour. Is it noticeable? Is it a different ask week in, week out of your, of your talent and your perseverance and your determination? Keen to understand at that stage of your career how big that step up is to compete week in, week out on something like the European Tour. You know, obviously the top tours have the best players, so that's quite evident. But um, like I've probably learnt later on in my career, good golf's good golf and it competes anywhere. So you just got to make sure you keep putting your good stuff on the table and you will be able to compete. It's not like these guys are complete freaks and they're just so much better than you. When you're playing good golf, you can compete with them. So once I once I got out there and I, I was still in really good form, you know, I went to Hong Kong even though I missed the cut, which was my first event, ironically, and I come back to Australia and play the Australian PGA and all of a sudden I was in the last group on Sunday. So I was just in this really good phase where I was got my card in Europe. I was playing well and I come back to Australia and I still continue this. I went out to the desert early on. I played well in Dubai. I started playing with some big players at the time and I was playing well and then I had a chance to win in Qatar the following week after that. So I'm only three events into my, in my European career and you're playing well. So it kind of gives you so much confidence rather than getting your card, getting up there and just missing a series of cuts and just completely pumping you, you know, or destroying your confidence. But I, I just kind of rode this little wave there that's just got me, which got me going. And I think that was so important, um, especially as a young bloke playing on the European tour so far from home because so many guys with heaps of game and heaps of talent just find those first couple of steps a bit tricky and that can um, it can um, leave a pretty bad taste in your mouth for a while hard to get going you've been playing on the the european tour i suppose off and on now for the best part of 20 years i'm interested to, to understand how you think it's grown it, it it's definitely the favored tour of this podcast no into probably more so for their eagerness and their willingness to innovate and, and for as wonky as it sounds, grow the game. But there still seems to be this perception that, that the PGA Tour is the pinnacle. So as a person who spent a lot of time on the Euro Tour, particularly through its growth period in the last, you know, five to 10 years, interested in your thoughts on, on where that tour is at and, and suppose in your mind how, how it rates? Um, yeah, I guess if you had to rank them one and two you'd, I think everyone would say exactly what you guys have but at the same time um, we play in a massive range of countries 
Um, the boys have done really well in Ryder Cup, which is good for the tour. Um, and um, yeah, from a world ranking point of view, yes, they are stronger. So they are the they are the main tour if you, if you want to say it that way. But at the same time, you would you like you guys would be aware there is an alliance between the PJ Tour and the European Tour, which are, which is just kind of in play now. So that's that 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 is a huge step for the European Tour. But at the same time, we're still forging on, coming up with new events and um, and growing our events in all, all different regions. So well, we've had a tougher time during this pandemic just because we moved through so many regions and that's in itself given the tour a lot of headaches. But they've done an amazing job. You know, I think I heard the other day we've done 25,000 tests and had three three positive results on tour. Which, which is amazing. So just the fact that we're out there playing, traveling through so many different areas is huge. But um, no, I think the European tour is in a great position. Um, Keith Pelly, who's heading up our tour, he's fantastic. He's really brought a breath of fresh air into the place. And and um, I think everyone's pretty supportive of what he's doing. So um, I think you're going to see really good things out of Europe. And I think you'll see a blend more towards America I'm not sure how that's going to take place at the moment but it's definitely going to go more that way to have not a world tour but it's going to be um, more that way than more having two independent tours so um, so no I'm I'm really happy in in Europe it's it's I'm obviously 40 now so I'm not it's not like I can start to jump across here and start again like it's it's not position that I'm in but um, yeah a lot of guys come Europe Europe's way uh, I guess the lure of going to Q school and having the ability to get your card at first crack is something that a lot of the young blokes like the sound of rather than going the PGA route and just getting onto Corn Ferry and then having to fight your way through there to get to the main tour. So I guess that's a good thing going for Europe still. But um, no, they're both great places to play. I don't think anyone will be whinging if they're playing on either of those two tours. Sounds like there's uh, some exciting things to come, and for the uh, for the European Tour and, and the PGA Tour, which is uh, hopefully the European Tour has more say in things than the PGA Tour because they definitely are the more innovative of the the two tours here. Um, although I highly doubt it. Let's talk a, a bit about some of your success, Wade. Um, you you've, you're a three time winner um, on the European Tour. Uh, yes, sorry. Oh my God, jeez, let's get this right here. You're a three-time winner on the Asian Tour, uh, and one was co-sanctioned by the European Tour, but the one I want to talk to you yeah. about first was 2013, the, the Indian Open, the Panasonic Open India. Um, I mean, you, you're coming off a, a T20 and a T33, so you're playing some okay golf, and then you break through with a really uh, nice victory um, over there in India uh, against a, a good field of of players as well, a couple of Aussies in the field. What's that moment like when you break through for that first victory? Because it's been a bloody long time for you. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, let me see. Yeah, I had a bit of stuff going on off the golf course, kind of in that 12 or 11, 12, 13 period. So mm-hmm. I was just getting myself back together, which is, um, and, I, and I was in Asia at the time. So I felt like um, I could compete a lot more for wins out in Asia and had a few more looks at it before that Indian event. So, um, yeah, I think I played Chiang Mai the week before or something and I think Scott Hen won and I remember actually being in a lot better position than probably tied 20th. I think I felt like I had half a sniff to win on Sunday. I just, I torched it coming home and I remember calling Hendy saying, mate, how do you convert these wins? And I can't remember exactly what he told me, but I remember having that discussion with him. And um, then I went to... Delhi Golf Club at Panasonic Indian Open and um, that place is right up my alley at the time. I was hitting it straight and I tend to hit it quite straight and that place is like single file the whole way around and um, yeah, I found myself I think I don't know, I think I, I think I birdied 17 on Sunday to go one ahead and then I parred the last hit, rescue off the last tee so it's a, a ridiculously tight tee shot with huge penalty if you miss it and I made Get my three shots down there and two putts for the win. So, no, that was amazing feeling for me, kind of so late in my career, 10, 12 odd years into my career. So, um, it opened up a few doors for me back in Asia. You know, I got in that CIMB, that PGO Tour event, and a few other things like that. So, all of a sudden, these doors open as they do with all these wins. You know, it got me into, I think, final stage of European Q school just because I was so high up on the order of merit in Asia. And then and then you get going and, you know, your eyes kind of line up. You've got these opportunities and the way you go. So um, 
yeah, it was it was big to get a win, but it was big to just get me going again because that little period, like I said, that 11-12 hadn't been very good for me. So, um, no, it was good. 2017 was a huge year for you as well, Wade. Uh, of mm. course, um, the first time that you'd won the Hong Kong Open uh, – at the, the back end of the year there, you finished the year ranked 100th in the world, um, you know, just outside your, your, your best position of 97. Uh, we did mention yeah. before that you're probably the highest ranked player that we've ever had on this podcast, which is, uh, which, so we thank you for, <laughs> for coming on. But I did want to ask yeah. you about playing in a major, the US Open 2017 at Aaron Hills there, of course, uh, Brooks mm. Kepka um winning that one what's it like teeing up in a major Aaron Hills as well isn't the uh isn't the easiest of courses that they they take these majors to what's it like uh teeing it up in a major well, major tournament I haven't had that much experience and but I've watched obviously a lot on tv and yeah massively excited to qualify for that one that was great but when you get there it was long and tough, which I was happy with too. But then they cut all the rough down. I was like, "Come on, you know, I want, like I want the rough. I wanted to play as tough as tough as I can." But it probably wasn't a traditional U.S. Open golf course. I think, like I said, I don't have the experience of playing all the others and how firm they play. But you can see, like visually on TV, how they were, and speaking to other players, I probably would have been better suited to firmer, faster, tougher joints. But that turned into a pretty low-scoring affair, and. Um, no, but it was still fantastic to play those big events with everything going on and everyone throwing everything at it is great to see and it only inspires you to want to get back and play more. So, um, no, it was a great week. I'm disappointed to, to, to miss the cut because I was playing nicely on Thursday and had a poor finish. And, and um, yeah, I guess all that's history and you look forward. So, no, but it is, um, those big events are special. The Hong Kong Open at the end of the year, uh, as I mentioned, the first time that you won that, a really good field assembled. I mean, finishing in T-second was Rafa Cabrera-Bayo and uh, Alexander Bjork, Paul Peterson, Julian Suri. So some good names there. And Tommy Fleetwood finished in sixth. So um, I I played with Tommy on Sunday, yeah. Yeah, so it would have been, that would have been an exceptional experience for you to to win uh, a national open as well, or your second national open. Yeah, yeah. obviously to win in Europe that was a little monkey I had on my back and I knew it and um, Hong Kong's always been a great course for me but I never really played that well there the first six or eight years on on tour but as I grew a bit older and more mature on the golf course I really knew that that was right up my alley and I had to just play my 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 game and um, I was a little bit I think I was doing a lot of work at home before that and I rocked up to the range and said to my Caddy Rich, I said, I oh, made I'm pretty a little bit underdone here, and I'm gonna head down, bum up for the next two days, get as much work as I can done, and let's see where we're at. So I guess the expectations were on the bottom, which was good. I remember playing pretty ordinary in the practice round, just hitting it quite weak, but um, yeah, I just built it up as the week went on, and all of a sudden you're coming down the last thing. I birdied 17 to go. I can't even know. I think I can't even remember, but I think I was one or two ahead at that point, and then um, yeah, made a pretty pretty poor three putt on Sunday but it was if everyone knows that, that hole where they put the pin it's quite tricky but um, and then I think Raf Bello birdied 17 that he had to par the last to force a playoff and he was unsuccessful in doing that so to win like that standing in the score is hard. watching someone miss a putt's not the way you want to do it but then it all then all sets in that you um, won your first European tour event so that was really cool really cool probably the biggest point in my career that you know that, that one there What's what's the uh, I suppose uh, I mean we, we spoke about the win in India four years previous, but is there an element of a boost in self belief after you win on, on on the European tour and do so ahead of a field like what we spoke of? Because I mean we'll get to the re- the, the repeat offence in in twenty twenty, but I imagine that breakthrough in Hong Kong in twenty seventeen was a real kind of turning point for you. Absolutely. It's nice to get A, the monkey off your back, but B, to know your good golf is good enough. And I still knew I wasn't anywhere near my, my playing my best. You know, I didn't hit it amazing that week. I just I just, I just got it around and just played solid all week. So, no, that was huge for me. Um, and, um, yeah, and then all the, I think it was the first event of the year and all the other flowing things that come of that is big, you know, because all the um, – I got into some, some WGCs in the back of that and um, – no, it was good. It was, it was, it was really good. And um, you know, I guess it just takes you to a whole new belief mechanism. It's easy to say that you've got to believe to achieve, but 
until you sometimes do these things, you, you don't really have that ultimate belief in yourself. So that was good. A little bit more convincing three years later when you do it by four strokes in in January of, of last year. Can you compare the pair? I suppose if you look at both wins side by side and, and what was different, it was comprehensive in January yeah. of last year, 65 and then 366s back to back to win by four strokes over Shane Lowry, who just six months previously had won the Open Championship by six shots. So yeah. a, a fair field you beat as well. Yeah, um, that's definitely the best golf I've played. So... As if the first one was the biggest point in my career to date, that second one, I was playing well. I, I, I basically threw away the Australian PGA and that hurt more than any other Sunday night I've ever had on tour. So drive back to the airport, I was like I wasn't a happy camper. I was more disappointed and I was angry and everything else that goes along with it. But I knew I had to do something about it because I, I wasn't dealing with some situations on the golf course well mentally so I had to do something about that so and my wife was a huge driving force on that one so she said you're not going back out into until you've done something about it because they cop all the all the aftermath of what goes on with the Australian PGA and whatever else so um so I did started seeing Noel Blundell sports psych and um we did a quick crash course we didn't have much much time we had to do it all over the phone so we did all that uh in the week leading up to this, that, that Hong Kong 2020. And um, I had no other intention apart from going up there and winning that because I knew I was playing well. And I had, and I did, you know, so it was, it was, I just played good. I thought good. I putted good and everything's good. And when you do all those things and, and then you go and win biking a wide wide that week and do that you kind of really confirm that you're doing all the right stuff and you're on the right path so that was the most satisfying if that makes sense just because I knew my game was in check in every area you, you mentioned the Oz PGA there I, I don't want to kind of rehash old wounds no, way but right. it's a tournament you've been there and thereabouts more than once you know cast your mind all the way back to I think it was 2013 where you went to a playoff with a few players that went, I think, to seven extra holes. You you bowed out after three, and, and a couple of other. Yeah, I should have won that one. Yeah. Yeah, well, a couple of other appearances, you know, in, in close finishes. Not to mention, um, you know, in 2019, where the headline was that, that Scotty had the win, but for all intents and purposes, it was it was yours. It was yours to lose, and and I wonder how much extra pressure you place on yourself when you come home and play in in kind of the PGA Championship here on. On home soil, I know you've had and, and are quite familiar and quite successful at Royal Pines, but is there an added sense of obligation or pressure you have placed on yourself in the past around that tournament specifically? No, you always want to play well in Australia, whether it's the Aussie Open, Aussie PGA. That's 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 the two big ones that you want to play well in. You always want to put your best foot forwards in home. There's nothing like playing at home, so um, yeah, it's pretty much extra pressure. You just want to make sure you keep performing at the level you have all year and apply yourself the way you do rather than just come back and have a holiday with the boys. So even though the events are of a, from a, from a stature point of view, they're way up there, but they just haven't from a prize money point of view moved with the rest of the world. So, but that doesn't really affect them with those events. You just really want to be there and you want to play your best golf. So, um, and being the PGA championship with the history dad's had with the PGA, that's always meant quite a bit to me. So, um, yeah, I've had quite a few good looks at that one. I mean, one that Pete, that one that Peter Senior won, the one that Lonard won, and that one where I missed a short one with um, Scotty and Chalmers in the second playoff hole. I had a straight four, five or six footer that haunt, that still haunts me a little bit. But anyway, that's the way they are. I think everyone's got their story and all these maybe ifs and and uh, whatever else. So no, we'll um, no, just keep coming back and keep trying to put your best foot forward and play your best golf and find yourself in a position. Sunday afternoon, we can have a, have a run at it. So, um, yeah, but Australian PGA has been the better of the two back there to me. Last couple before we let you go, mate, because we know you've got to get out onto, right. the, onto the course. Um, one of our big research areas that we do go to is Instagram, um, and we've trawled yeah. through yours. Um, how would you mm-hmm. describe yourself as a petrol head? Would that be fair? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I like I like I love I love motorsport. You know, I love the competition. I love motorsport. The Formula One. I love V8. It's got some mates in that and whatever else. So that's what I like looking at in my spare time. So um, yeah, more more on the racetrack is the thing that kind of gets me going. Not so much road cars, but 
So. Well, yeah. I, yeah, I've seen that. Uh, I'm just looking at the photo now of you and uh, Tim Slade from uh, Freightliner Racing there. But, oh, yeah. um, that sounds like a pretty pretty good uh, experience for you. And I also read that you race go-karts competitively still. I, I so still, still do. still got a bit of time for that, Wade. Um, yeah, that takes a bit <laughs> of negotiating with the wife at home. But um, <laughs> I, just, I, I just enter races and pop them in the calendar. And I said they've been in there for about three uh, three months to make sure I can get away with it. So, no, that old chestnut. Love, yeah, exactly. The thing is with karting, it's my nephew does it. And my son, when he's in Australia, he, he races too. So, but like racing has always been in our family. Uh, I guess it's been an escape for dad from business and whatever else, but um, it completely takes your mind off your day-to-day stuff, which is, which is golf for me, you know, but they say it's like people with surfing, you leave all your, all your thoughts on, on the beach. And I think it's the same with, um, with, with their motorsport. You look out, the, you like, you look out your visor, you don't think about anything else and you put everything into, into that to, to try and win and it's so competitive go-karting it's such small margins and i love that i love obviously love competition we're all competitive people if you're doing what i do for a living so um it kind of it ticks my two big boxes you know which is competition and um motorsport and you can do it yourself and you can do it at an affordable level and you can do it with the family so i love going away and racing and um i still try and squeeze it into my schedule provided it's not too soon before traveling giving my ribs a hard time but no it's good fun and one final one way because we couldn't possibly have someone on from adelaide without asking uh crows or port mm, definitely adelaide crows mate <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're going we're going through a bit of a lean patch but... i was gonna say a bit, bit of a lean patch of late yeah no exactly but it's kind of you lose a bit of touch with the footy when you're away for the whole winter in europe but um you still find a way to follow them when they're doing well. You, you kind of get a bit chirpier on the on the phone. So, no, nah, it's all good. I, I think they'll be back. They're a club that's never down for too long, so they'll be back. They'll be just fine, mate. Don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah. Outstanding. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to catch up with you on the eve of the of the WGC. Of course, we wish you all the very best for the next few days at concession. Hopefully, run through until Sunday, and 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 certainly look forward to you know catching up with you again in the future as, as you progress. It's uh, it's been a hell of a career to date, and we look forward to hopefully another few wins uh, coming your way in the next few years, Wade. So thanks very much for your time on the nineteenth too. No, my pleasure, boy. Thanks for having me on. Cheers.